Hey listeners, a brief note at the top. I have two deadly tales to tell today, related, so consider this a content warning, as I will be mentioning some gruesome details, and one of them does involve animal deaths. I usually try to stay away from murder-centric true crime here because I like to tell stories that are like just a little bit off, that give you that feeling of sitting on the crack between two chairs. And when you're talking about the tragic deaths of real people, well, those stories should happen in a less sensationalized space, one that's respectful and understands that there might still be people alive who are close to the cases and still in pain. So I've done my best to keep that in mind, while also acknowledging that the people in these stories were people, humans with full lives, but not flawless just because they died, embroiled in complicated situations, and ones that I just simply won't dive into entirely because that's really not what this episode is about. Even though these two cases took place 35 years apart, they both share one inexplicable, mysterious thing left behind. Art that mirrors their death. And that is what this episode is about. I'm Quinn Lovecraft, and this is 31, a podcast about morbid reflections. 1982. You know how some people say they were born in the wrong decade, usually meaning they wish they lived during the time of golden age cinema, or poodle skirts and milkshake shops? You know, some romanticized version of the best parts of a different era. Well, I think Charles Scudder was born in the wrong decade because he was way ahead of his time. This guy had colorful dyed hair, was interested in the occult, played the harp, named his mansion Corpsewood Manor, and lived there with his boyfriend and two English mastiffs. And he was born in 1926. 1926! Charles Scudder, you would have loved Hot Topic and Tim Burton and Tumblr. Now, I know some of you just picked up on something very important. He's into the occult, and I said this story takes place in 1982. Yeah, that is bad news. We are right in the midst of the satanic panic. In the 1960s, there was a rise in individualism, taking life into your own hands. But since people are communal, a lot of them ended up looking for a leader anyway, so you wound up with all of these pockets of groups and cults. You had harmless ones that didn't make the news, and then you have groups like the Manson family, which carried out a massacre. Anton LaVey's Church of Satan also came out of this individualism, and though it's actually non-violent, being the Church of Satan means it's easy to blame. And then in the 1970s, well, think of any serial killer, Chances are, the one that came to mind was operating during that decade. A lot of serial killers were high-profile and sensationalized, sowing fear and mistrust in small communities, especially suburbs. And if you've listened to my episode called Nearer to Thee, then you know that CNN began in 1980. So now you have the 24-hour news cycle, and very bad things are more in your face than ever. And so by this time, in America, you had a strong push and pull going between rising counterculture occultists and rising fundamentalist Christians. The more one side railed against the other, the more validated the other side felt, and the stronger they grew. Charles Scudder did use satanic artifacts as decoration, and he agreed with some of Anton LaVey's ideas. But Scudder did not identify as a Satanist. Like many people of the time, he was interested in things like 
mind-altering drugs and the occult. Anything that kind of blurred the veil between what we regularly perceive and what we don't. But according to a lot of the people who knew him, he didn't even use the drugs himself. He believed in the self and the universe. He was always in pursuit of knowledge, even holding a PhD in pharmacology and teaching at Loyola University until he was about 50 years old. And then he was like, you know what? I actually want a quieter life. So he left Chicago and moved to Appalachia with his partner, Joseph Odom. They poured all of their money into building this beautiful brick manor that they named Corpsewood after the winter-struck thin bare trees surrounding it. But even though it has kind of a morbid name, there was nothing that scary about it. Okay, as long as you weren't put off by the pentagrams. Ultimately, it was supposed to be warm and welcoming. Charles and Joseph specifically designed it to be a place where they could both live simply and entertain many guests. But the last people they would entertain would kill them. One evening in December of 1982, a group of four younger people got messed up on some bad drugs and decided to rob Scudder and Odom because they thought, oh hey, they have this huge mansion, they must be rich, not realizing that Scudder and Odom put all of their money into building the mansion and were really only living off a little bit of money now. But riddled with prejudices, the foursome thought they were justified in robbing a rich, gay, devil-worshipping couple, so they set out for Corpsewood. And then oddly, when they got there, they ended up hanging out with Scudder and Odom for a bit. Everyone drank together, talked together. But bad drugs, plus a desire for money, plus even more alcohol, well, yeah, that wasn't going to end well. Supposedly, one of the hosts pulled out a gun, just kind of as a joke maybe showing it off, but it kind of escalated things and then seemed to remind the people what they were there to do. Two of the four got scared and they were like, well, wait, okay, this isn't what we signed up for. But there were two guys who stayed, but then actually took it way further than just robbery. They killed Joseph Odom and the dogs, and then they grabbed Scudder and dragged him to the place where his partner lay. Supposedly, Scudder's final words were, I asked for this. Then he was gagged with duct tape and shot at least four times in the head. The two ringleaders of the murder were sentenced to prison, but of course the media had a field day with the seemingly satanic scene of the crime. And as they were pawing through all of Scudder and Odom's belongings, they found something terrifying. A painting of Scudder's death painted by Scudder. It's an almost abstract self-portrait of mostly just Scudder's head. His face is pale, but oddly already sort of a deathly blue. His eyes look blankly off into the distance. Red pours from his neck and from the bullet holes in his head, and he is gagged with duct tape. Honestly, it would be a haunting picture even without this backstory. Scudder didn't know his killers before they showed up at the door. How could he have painted his own death months before it happened? And if those were his final words, I asked for this, was he thinking about that painting? Was he thinking that he had somehow painted this situation into existence? Did he feel guilt, like it was his fault? Or were those reported last words made up by his killers just part of the defense? As though a death wish somehow also fit into his occultist beliefs. Regardless of what his words meant, his painting showed some kind of fear or premonition. 2017. 
Toronto, Canada. A realtor, Elise Stern, is showing off a beautiful $6 million mansion while the homeowners are out. But when she gets to the indoor pool, she thinks, oh, are they, are they not out? Are they in? Are they doing some kind of weird yoga thing? One of the guests thinks that they've just stumbled upon a gruesome Halloween scene, maybe a morbid prank. They think they're seeing mannequins, and oh, if any of you watch or listen to a lot of true crime, you know it is rarely a mannequin. So Elise quickly ushers the guests out of the room, and then when she returns, she realizes she was half right. The homeowners were there, but they were dead. Barry and Honey Sherman were almost as different from Scudder and Odom as you could be. The Shermans were billionaires, ranking among Canada's wealthiest families. Barry made his money in pharmaceuticals, which is a controversial industry anyway. And then on top of that, he definitely made some enemies along the way to his billionaire status. He had cousins who felt like he had stolen the family business away from them. There were Canadians in general who felt like he made his money by creating overpriced generic drugs. There were business competitors. Point is, the list of people who either said they wanted him dead or would benefit from his death was so long that it complicated this case, and the case is still unsolved. But there might be one strange clue left behind. It lies in how the bodies were staged. So remember how I said one of the prospective buyers thought that it might be like a weird Halloween scene or something? Barry and Honey's necks were tied to the pool railings with leather belts. They died from strangulation, maybe not by hands, maybe by the belts around their necks, some kind of closing of the airways. It's unclear as many of the details of their deaths were not revealed, but essentially it seemed like they were supposed to be propped up and then their legs were in front of them in a way that looked intentional. In one of the mansion's finished basement rooms, there are two statues. They are human-sized sculptures reportedly made from found objects, so like wires and things. And these sculptures are colorful and abstract, but they are still very lifelike in form. Unmistakably human figures. Both statues sit on huge speakers, one leg crossed over the other. Barry and Honey were tied to the railing so they were propped up in a seated position. One of Barry's legs was crossed over the other, just like the statue. Honey was a little different, almost lying down with her legs out in front of her, but by the diagrams it looks like Honey could have been in a seated position initially, but then slipped down a little, with the initial intention being to have her seated, propped up by the belt, with her legs crossed next to Barry. It's suspected that their bodies weren't found until 36 hours after they were taken by the culprit down to the pool. So who knows what happened in that time? I mean, maybe Honey was propped up like Barry and then gravity or decomposition were a factor. Maybe they were left there to die and she ended up struggling a little bit. We just really don't know. There were also no signs of forced entry. There was no alarm set for the house, and supposedly this was very unusual. And that actually makes this double murder strangely similar to Scudder and Odom. There is this sense that the murdered couple invited their killers in. But with Barry and Honey, the murders seem deeply personal. Someone got close to them to kill them. Someone took their time staging the scene. Someone seemed to know this place. So it doesn't feel out of the realm of possibility that they would pose their victims like that art. As if to say, 
you are also nothing but expensive, human-shaped junk. Now, no matter what anybody thought about Barry and Honey Sherman, they did not deserve that. But unfortunately, the killer has still not been caught, so we can't know for sure what their motive was for the murder or if the posing like the sculptures was intentional. But it sure seems like their deaths imitated the nearby art, just as Scudder's did. Now, you know I love a deep dive and to pull on all these threads and see what people are saying and come up with strange theories, but with these two cases, it really does just feel like there's this air of mystery about them, a sense that there are some things we might just never know. And we are left with more questions than answers. How did Scudder paint his own death? Why were Barry and Honey posed like their art? Dancer Martha Graham once said, Art is eternal, for it reveals the inner landscape, which is the soul of man. No matter what Scudder and the Shermans were or were not, what they believed in or didn't, it seems like they stumbled upon a little connection to eternity through art in their final hours. Thank you for listening to 31. Today's episode referenced many visuals, so those are up on the podcast Instagram at 31pod31. And I'll see you soon for another true unsettling tale.